Welcome to the Innovation Calling Podcast, where we connect creators for the next big thing. We're your hosts, Erin Greger and Sia Yasso Tornrat. Hey, it's Erin Greger. And it's Sia Yasso Tornrat. We've got another great episode of Innovation Calling coming your way. Uh, but before we do, we've got some great events coming up that we want to make sure you join us. Join us at, I yep. guess is the right word. All right, yep. Sia, so what's the first one? I'm going to drive this one. March 26th. It is our next global leaders organization uh, breakfast meetup. So it's the Dallas chapter. Uh, we had a very successful inaugural lun- uh, launch last month, and we are featuring Gary Hoover of Hoover's Inc. Aaron, super excited. Super if excited. if you know anything, I know we are. Now, if you know anything about doing research about companies, for me as a salesperson, I would do a lot of research for you know my potential clients. You have to know what, you, what you're dealing with, right? And I always, hands down, always went to Hoover's. That was like the first place to go um, just to get initial assessment of you know where their uh, business was at, what they focus on, who their competition is. I mean, it was just really encyclopedic, perfect uh, information for especially as salespeople. Yeah, and it's going to be that that Gary Hoover. So it's interesting. What makes me really honored to have him join us is that he's got a sale under his belt, a sale to Barnes and Noble, was bookstop from his original company, went to Barnes and Noble. And then he also has an IPO under his belt and Dun & Bradstreet took over Hoover's. So, I mean, he's got all kinds of things, but I know what we've talked about too. And, and what really is the most exciting is with all those successes, he's had a lot of failures too that he's willing to talk about and be very open about. And I know for me, I don't know if you want to call this morbid or what, but I love hearing the failure stories. And I think too, it's just a being able to, to understand there's, you know, we're not alone and how he overcame those because we're all going to, you know, hit some bumps in the road. And so it's really important to understand how not to, it's, it's not going to be an easy ride to success. Right. So I know he's very open and shares those too. So, uh, we're going to be once again at the Mothership, as Sia said, March 26th. Uh, if it's your first time to join us, it's free to join us. Otherwise, you'll have to be a member or you can pay. But um, join us over at innovationcalling.com to register for that event. All right. So what's the next one? Next one is super, super exciting again super is April exciting. 8th. It's our, <laughs> it's our next. God. It's our next Women in Tech Leadership Series. Uh, very excited to uh have Jennifer Bennett fly down from Chicago. She's a VP of sales. Exec- oh my goodness gracious! She's a VP of enterprise sales over at Sectigo, uh, which uh, which is a, a security uh, company. And Aaron, I haven't talked to you about this, so I'm going to shock you a little bit. But she actually might bring uh, a compliment to her. I'm not going to announce it. We're still working on it. But April 8th, ladies, this is going to be a, a very interesting conversation because it's all about really uh, the support of developing and trusting into one individual to create a career career. So, um, you guys, I love Jennifer. I love her story. And, uh, she is a spitfire. If you guys think I have energy, wait till you meet Jennifer. Very cool. I'm so, I'm so like shocked right now by the twist, the plot twist that could be coming. <laughs> hey, we're always shaking things up at innovation calling. We can't be always the same, same. So guys join us, um, on, uh, March 26th, uh, at City Central at 7 a.m., 7.15 a.m. Uh, to meet with Gary Hoover, as well as April 8th to join us with uh, to meet Jennifer Benet over at Tech2Go. Without further ado, Aaron, let's jump into our next episode with EPA, Esports Performance Academy. I love this one. Yeah, I mean, you talk about something you never thought you'd be talking about 
three years ago, right? And it's a whole business now. And just what these two have done with this, it's it's truly mind-blowing. I mean, I can't believe some of the conversations that we have and some of the opportunities that these people have actually created. Absolutely. So we are going to be welcoming Andrew Andrew Cooley and Andrew English, co-founders of eSports Performance Academy, both former eSports players. So they've been in the game. They understand the challenges that sports uh, future players are going to go through. And when we're talking about players, we're talking professional quality players where there's actual, um, you know, team sport where there's money involved. This is not casual uh, players. And they're looking to build their own gym, if you will, and to really enhance performance as well as take care of your mind, body and soul while you're playing a very cerebral game. Yeah. So I should. I should say game, but anyway. Um, so on that note, without further ado, I'm very excited to uh, share with our conversation with Andrew Cooley, Andrew English of Esports Performance Academy. Hey, Andrew, and hey, Andrew, welcome, guys, to Innovation Calling. Thank you. Appreciate you having us. <laughs> it's going to be easy to remember. Exactly. I know. I remember the first time I was meeting uh, Andrew Cooley. Said, "Oh, my name is Andrew," and I'm thinking, "Okay, great." Then I look Make at a Andrew, mental note, yeah. yeah. And then I Andrew English comes up and he's like, "My name is Andrew." And at that point, I was like, "Okay, now they're messing with me." <laughs> <laughs> so the way we met Aaron was uh, at this great event over at City Central, our oh, working yeah, partnership, yeah. and they had a wonderful panel and conversation regarding, um, you know, the whole e gaming sports industry. And I thought it was uh, you say that very hesitantly. Well, because I got educated on terminology <laughs> that we can talk about that both Andrews will help enlighten me again. After our great conversation with John Davidson, um, I was really interested in learning more about esports in general. And hence, thanks again, guys, for coming. Yeah, okay, so, gentlemen, were you, is it true that you guys have played video games before? That is that is true, I think. Maybe once true. or twice. Yeah. Once or twice? Okay, I'm joking. Okay, so let's talk about, you know, so EPA, uh, Esports Performance Academy, really cool organization, but I, before we this go into so this. This is so crazy. I'm sorry. Like, I can't wait for this conversation. It is so crazy that this is a company, a very successful company that you guys are running. It's oh, just yeah. so wild to me that we were talking about this conversation, but go ahead. Sorry. Exactly. Well, let's just do, okay, you know what? Let's just say, what is Esports uh, Performance Academy? Uh, you, want, you want me to go? Yeah, you, okay. you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, So Esports Performance Academy focuses on developing the next generation of uh, professional players, coaches, talent in esports, basically, at the very high level. Um, yeah. And why would you guys start this business? Uh, so one of the things that Andrew and I have, have uh, always discussed, like since we've known each other, is that Kind of the developmental pathway for going pro in esports um, is pretty bad. If you go look at like traditional sports, football, basketball, soccer, whatever, name any of them, um, they have this very structured developmental path. You go, you know, YMCA, middle school, high school, collegiate. You can uh, go to like select teams when you're in high school and, and stuff too to help facilitate that or academy programs for soccer, right? Um, and then you go into the pro scene, hopefully. Um, but none of that really exists for esports. Um, I mean, there's a 10-year difference between he and I. It didn't exist whenever I was going through the pro scene. didn't exist whenever he was at that point either. And so it was something that was really meaningful to us that we want to be able to provide the next generation in esports everything that we didn't have to help facilitate that growth so that they can have an opportunity to play pro, play collegiate, have a career in the industry, so on and so forth. What are some of the common misconceptions someone may have about understanding the pro, like going pro, uh, to be able to go pro? 
Sure. I know it's kind of uh, out of, no, out of no, the no, blue. I, I'm just curious. No, 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 that's that's fine. Um, I just don't. I don't know if he wants to answer. Yeah. If I want to answer, <laughs> I don't want to be talking the whole time. Um, so I, I guess you'd be astounded by the amount of people that like I've coached and worked with, and they're like, "Yes, I want to go pro," and they're very talented players. There's some like in the top 500, top 700 in the country, um, or in the continent. And what happens is that they don't – they get fixated on kind of the spotlight and the mm-hmm. limelight and, you know, I, I, I want to be in that kind of celebritized, glorified state. Um, but they don't understand all the work that happens just like a traditional athlete. It's all the work and the time that you put in off the camera. Um, that's what matters so that you could be, you know, on the camera and in the spotlight. So it's a lot of work and it's not just sitting there playing the game, um, especially anymore. Growing up, that's, that is pretty much what esports was, is you would just practice and play the game, um, over and over again for, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours a day. But the great thing with the growth in the industry is that there's so much research being done on like the health, fitness, nutrition, wellness, um, mental health, so on and so forth that it's, especially kind of like our philosophy of of approaching things is that it's a very holistic approach um, to make sure that we facilitate that growth from every angle because it all feeds back to cognitive function. You just intellectualize. You you straight up intellectualize something that, quite frankly, as kids growing up, we're like, you know, we're going to go play some, you know, I don't know, video game game. Contra. I love Contra. (laughs) I love that game. Um, So how do, okay, so, you guys were both. Uh, you guys have both have had a career in playing games. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that because how does one even get into this? Like, do you just by virtue like online? Like, oh, I'm going to play. Or yeah, you happen to be winning a lot, and somebody finds you, and they're like, you should play pro. Like, how did you guys get in? Yeah, you want to go first. Tell yeah. us your story. Yeah, and I I think that's that that was the hard part. I mean, I was uh, I was a player in high school, and I kind of just stumbled upon this game called League of Legends, and I fell in love with it, and I pretty quickly understood that. This was something that I wanted to do with my life, but I didn't really know how to make it into that professional scene. And so um, it was me just, you know, going home every day and doing what I could to just play and get better. And uh, eventually it was finding another group of people who were looking to to also have the same, you know, same goals as me and just playing with them until eventually you know, I got spotted by a coach or something who needed me. And it was very um, luck based almost at some points. Uh, where you could put in all this work and not get spotted because there was no no pathway. And so as far as getting into the the player side of things, it was just, you know, going home and working every day and trying to get better and, and hoping to get spotted. Yeah. Um, so again, because mine was a, quite, a, quite a long time ago, um, I found out what esports was when I was like 12, and I watched my first tournament at that point. I had no idea it was a thing, and I was like, oh, crap, people play this professionally? Like, this is amazing. Um, and I, I remember getting done watching it, like my jaw was literally hanging open while I was watching these guys do what they do in a game called Counter-Strike. Now they have Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Back then it was called CS 1.6. Um, if you're around my age, you'll know what that is. And if you're not, then you'll know what CSGO is. Anyway, so there is this, uh, this system called CAL, the Cyber Athlete Amateur League. And basically, you tried to progress through Cal to climb up high enough to be able to potentially have teammates and partners. But, I mean, to to Andrew's point, a lot of it was just luck-based. You know, do I meet the right people? Do I mesh with these guys? Um, Do they need the person that has my area of expertise? Um, And then, you know, hope that you're able to to get on a team eventually. Um, So you climb the ranks through that, did the same thing in uh, World of Warcraft and Left 4 Dead. And it's just a matter of, hey, you're really good. Oh, we're really good. Oh, we all have ambitions to try and play professionally. 
let's create a team and let's hope that we get picked up by a sponsor or get noticed or, you know, you get the idea. So um, unfortunately, very archaic, but um, we've made some, the industry has made some progress for sure, um, but it's definitely far from uh, being where traditional sports is and hopefully we can help get it to that point. So do you, do do you audition? Do you scout? Like, what? I don't understand how these teams. No, I have another stupid question after that one. Go ahead. I mean, okay, I, guess, I, I mean, like, <laughs> no, it... not that that's stupid, but I have like another. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I guess in my head, I guess for lack of better term, because again, I don't know your industry that well, but is there like a Reddit type community where you guys talk to each other and then like that's how you find each other, or you're just playing games online and you see people's names come up often? How, I don't understand how you guys find each other. I guess. Yeah, and so. That's the thing that's very disjointed and disconnected is that I think that there's probably a lot of platforms um, that are being created around being able to facilitate that in a better manner. I'll put this out there and somebody, if they haven't already, can go create it. But like I had an idea about six years ago that I wanted to create something that was like LinkedIn and Facebook and Match.com, but it was strictly for like facilitating players getting mm. linked up with each other. Um, I haven't really – I mean, is there anything that you've come across that, like, is exactly that? Hey, that's been trademarked, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, like, nothing high quality. Right? Okay. Yeah. So so nothing, at least, that comes to the forefront of mind. But I, uh, I, I think that right now it's – it depends on the title, ultimately. Like, every title, League of Legends, Overwatch – uh, Counter Strike, Call of Duty, like everybody has kind of their own niches and the way that they connect with one another and find each other. Um, I mean, at the uh, at the ultra high level in League of Legends, like everybody's constantly playing against each other in solo in solo queue on the ladder, and so they're very familiarized with one another. With do they like somebody based on how they play, their attitude, so on and so forth? They'll scrim each other pretty often, so um, that's one way that they kind of get. Uh, <laughs> they kind of sorry get, that was me. No, you're fine. Uh, that's <laughs> that's one way that they kind of connect with each other. Sorry, like before everyone needs to know before this call, I got this cocky thing. I my phone's never on, and then sorry. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, we tell everyone please turn your phones off. So no, wait, can I ask a question? Yeah. Can I back up though on how we get better oh. with? Okay, so I'm going to preface this with I am sorry because all I have of reference is I'm old and my cousin was really good at video games. But like his way of getting better was I remember he'd read magazines, he'd learn the shortcuts and he'd play a lot. Right. I'm so curious how you help, like how I get better and get to a professional level because I can compare it to, let's say, basketball. Right. I could play the game of basketball over and over and over again. But I'm probably going to form some bad habits on my fundamentals. Sure. I'm going to, you know, I want to dribble the ball. I want to get in shape. I want to, and I know you guys are doing all these things from a fitness perspective. So how do you get good enough for a level? Is it just sitting and playing the game? I'm thinking it's like like part school where I got to be studying a lot and no strategy. Is there like how do you train to this level outside of I just sit and play League of Legends all day long? That can't be it right. to get to a professional level. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that really helps a lot of players is the number one thing that nobody wants to do because everybody loves to go play the game because yeah. it's exciting. Yeah. The number one thing that if I could, if if somebody was like, give me one tip to go and improve, I would say, okay, go watch yourself play. Go watch a recording of yourself and ask why. Why did I die here? What was the mistake that I made? And just constantly analyze yourself. And at the end of the day, you're going to be able to assess and analyze the mistakes that you're making, and you're going to make mental note of those so that you try to, if you really are wanting to improve, you'll try to refrain from making them again. Um, and it doesn't matter. Like, that's the great thing is that that tip, it doesn't matter what current level of play you're at. 
all the way up into the pros to like the person who just started playing today, it helps going back and reviewing your own footage. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a million other ways that we could name as to like how players can improve their game going and and watching content, studying other players, so on and so forth. But that would probably be a whole other call yeah. on Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's just really intriguing to me. Go ahead, well, I, think, I think right there, you, it, it, it's, it's an intentionality of yes. playing the game, right? There's playing and then there's sports, right? And I think that's a big difference yeah. of, you know, I, we could play baseball vol- okay for me uh, well cross country doesn't really count so let's go volleyball you can play on the beach with your friends and it's fun and right. it's like woohoo let's you know pick up game and then there is oh i'm going to play sand volleyball and i'm going to learn how to communicate better or yeah. right. uh the strategy around knowing the weaknesses of your opponents and all that that's much different than i'm just going to do a pickup game and i think that's where you guys really t- how do you weed? How does someone come up to you saying, "I think I'm ready," or do you actually have to do interview them in advance, saying before we even let you on? Um, how do you guys go approach that for your business? Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at kind of our elite program type of type of thing, where we take the uh, you know one team in each game of the the uh, the highest uh, rated prospects and the best prospects we can find for that who are looking to go pro. Uh, it's definitely a lot of scouting on our end and interviews to make sure that that we really uh, choose the right person. It's never really someone comes to us and we're just like, yeah, you're the one. It takes a lot of intensive research and scouting, and um, we end up going to those people a lot of the time. Whereas when when we're you know we kind of go down the spectrum to just developing you know the everyday player. It's like those are the type of people where no matter. sorry keep going (laughs) pardon our machines (laughs) those are the type of people where you know no matter how good you are what skill level you're at we're able to to come in and help you but at at the the higher echelon of people those are we do a lot of research and we usually are the ones reaching out to them so because you guys are this is such a new concept if you're or when you are approaching these elite players Mm -hmm. are they understanding who you are or do they think you're some kind of you know i mean because you're so new i can imagine them saying why do I need you? Yeah, who the heck are you people? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that it depends on the title ultimately. Um, we've had a pretty good pr- – because of our reputation with being with Infinite and Optic and everything, um, we've had a presence in League of Legends and Overwatch, and we have a pretty good track record if you go and you look at our website. Um, but w- things that people aren't as familiar with is that I, I personally have a really deep background in FPS games. So, again, like Counter-Strike, um, like a – sorry. What, what is FPS? Uh, sorry. Okay, my bad. Uh, so, FPS is a genre of game first-person shooter. Uh, so, like, League of Legends is what's called a MOBA game. Um, Explain that. Yeah, define that. <laughs> that yeah. What is it? Ma- massive multiplayer, multiplayer online yeah. battle arena? Yeah. Um, battle arena? No, we heard that. That's Fortnite, too, right? Well, so That's... Battle Royale would be Fortnite. Oh, my God. God, I was so close <laughs> <laughs> to wait. understanding something. Wait, bat- okay, wait, wait. Because I think of Fortnite being very similar to DayZ for the adult. Yeah. But Fortnite, they kitted it down right yeah right right. okay so that's basically elimination like you start with 100 players and you eliminate down to one that's the last survivor uh multiplayer multiplayer is in an arena like you're in a like big old like square like what i don't understand what that means yeah yeah it actually i mean the map actually kind of is a square and it's um a top-down perspective uh 
I don't know. It's You're very just trying different. to destroy the other person's base, essentially. Oh, it's, oh, it's like flag. It's like capture the flag. Type? Um, no, not necessarily. It, that if we go into this, I want to yeah. let you know that that's going to be the rest of the conversation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Back <laughs> up. Back up. Back up. Because you're going to go down a very deep hole, and you're going to get more and more frustrated with us. <laughs> I know. So. They're going to be laughing like, "Oh my god!" No, no, no. Uh, like we it, talked it, to these old not, ladies today. No, no. It's not the it's not the first time that we've had that that conversation yeah. at all. And I mean, I'd love to have it. No. But, but we should probably schedule that for next week. Yeah. <laughs> On, yeah. on what that looks uh, like. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So back up because you're yeah. talking about you talked about the shooting, the single point shooting. Well, different types of yeah, players. Yeah, I know, but he was explaining yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So no, you're, his you're background fine. in it. So yeah. So we we actually encompass um, a lot of different titles. We don't have um, the exact public track record. We do have a lot of experience and a lot of exposure. I mean, having played at the pro levels in those titles. So um, while League of Legends and Overwatch are the most publicized things, again, Counter-Strike, Apex Legends, uh, Fortnite, Rocket League are all things that we have a lot of really deep expertise that we've accumulated over, I mean, in my case, over a decade, and in his case, five, six years. So, so are the pro teams, like, are they wanting you to be, do they... Do they want you to help kind of groom these players to be to that pro? Do they need you, or are you are you competing against them? Like- um, our intent is not to compete against them mm-hmm. uh, at all. Uh, like we want to. It's it's kind of like if you think of the G League for the NBA, right? Yeah. Like they facilitate the growth of players to help them get placed in the NBA, and that's exactly what we okay. want to do. So our intent is not to compete with them. Um, and I'll tell you this right now: the the thing is, is that. I think that some people probably, some of the franchises and pro organizations probably realize like, hey, something like EPA is completely necessary. Mm-hmm. And I'll be completely honest, there are probably some franchise, and I know that there are some franchise teams out there that don't realize that we're necessary yet. I've had players that we've placed come back to me and be like, hey, I would love it if you could coach me individually because the pro organization does not do, do everything that we do. Um, and that, that it's unfortunate because that's actually you're setting that that player up for failure in his career. Right. It's not fair to that player at all that I'm being able, I'm providing them more than you are, and you just have the expectation that they should play for eight ten hours a day. That's uh, my two cents on that. It's like drafting a quarterback in Cleveland. <laughs> 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 okay, I know nothing about football. <laughs> so okay, that's something I didn't think about. Uh, Eight to ten hours. I mean, are professional players that the average amount of time they're sitting there? Because that's a long time to be sitting on your hiney. Right. Um, I I think that that's a a consistently changing thing for the people that are – because right now the the way that the industry is, is I think that everybody's constantly assessing with – you have all these great scientific data people that are getting involved and ingrained from an analytics standpoint and a health and wellness and research standpoint that everybody's trying to look at, okay, how can we optimize a player's practice schedule each day? Because to your point, yeah, eight to 10 hours a day is a long time to just be sitting there playing a game. And is that really healthy? No. So typically you have two, at the pro level, you typically have two scrim blocks that are about three hours each. Um, That's going to be the very intense practice. But outside of that, you have solo practice where you're focusing on personal fundamentals. Um, you have VOD reviews with the team or in the individual standpoint. Um, and so it's it, trying to, right now, again, like I think everybody's trying to optimize that schedule to look at what's going to be the most effective thing for the player's mental health so that they're they're happy and content with what they're doing. They don't get burned out um, and they're having the most optimal performance for the time invested in it. 
Have you guys uh, leveraged other applications, other software tools to like maybe enhance like hand-eye coordination or anything? Are you guys part of that scene or is that part of your curriculum? We, uh, yeah, so that's we're in conversations currently with partners around that. Um, so can't can't go too far into that, but yeah, absolutely, that's something that we care about a lot. How much like when it comes to this state of mental? I mean, this is all so new. How far do you think you we are in the ability to be able to see? What's happening? I just it, it's like to me, it's like medication. There's only so many long term studies you can actually do on this because there's no long term at this sure. point. Right. So how how are how are you all approaching this from an EPA perspective? Like where are are we in the sense of, yeah, we kind of we know how this affects them mentally. We know how we can change this. We know what we can do now versus we have a really long ways to go before yeah. we can actually figure out what's really happening. Um, I so. With our exposure to everything with the amount of players, I think that it's given us a good baseline to understanding mm-hmm. um, kind of the mental health side of things. But I'm not a mental health right, expert, right. right? And so, I mean, I can tell you what I know based on experiences, both personally and with players. Um, but at the same time, that's one of the reasons that we do try to develop, mm-hmm. like you were going back to the the hand-eye coordination, reaction timing, all that, all that kind of scientific research and, and partnership. That's why we look for really good, strong partnerships, like with mental health experts, mm-hmm. because we do want to truly understand it. We want to develop that track record and that data so that we can set these kids up for success from, you know, at the at the early age in, in middle school or, or whatever yeah. it may be, all the way up to throughout their entire career. What are things you're like? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like changing up. Like when when you have these players sitting there and, and you're like, you know what? This is what this is a common practice we see really helps people not get burned out or not yeah. do certain things. Like what are those kind of course corrections you're putting in there? Your pivots. So I think not playing for eight to ten hours a day. Straight. That's a that's a good uh, one. <laughs> that's a pretty easy one. Check. Yeah. Do you do you want to? Touch on this at all, or you want me to keep going? Yeah, keep going I just feel like I've been talking for uh, a long time, okay. man. <laughs> so, uh, not playing for eight to ten hours uh, a day. We try to also we try to be very direct and intentional. Mm-hmm. You were talking about earlier, like intentional practice, right? Don't like don't be reactive and let's just practice and figure things out. Be proactive. Let's go in with a game plan. Let's let's figure things out from that standpoint. So we do have a curriculum that we go by mm-hmm. that we focus on that we feel like that's really helped players understand kind of the intent of what they're wanting to do in each of the sessions. Um, in addition to that, we are very big proponents of like mindfulness and meditation, trying mm-hmm. to teach you to be aware of of what's going on. And you, you have those really. Are you familiar with the terminology of tilt? Mm-mm. Okay, so tilt is when you get like really upset in the, in the moment because you know like you tried to make this really cool play and it didn't work out, or your teammate was supposed to do something and they didn't do what they were supposed to do, and then you're really pissed off, right? And mindfulness helps with being able to. I'm trying to to word this in the best way as possible, so I apologize if I destroy this uh, <laughs> explanation. But mindfulness kind of teaches you, teaches you to hone your focus so that in the moment, instead of getting really irritated with like, hey, that didn't go the way that I planned, um, you then kind of pull back, you disregard that emotion for the moment, be like, that's unfortunate. Um, I need to focus on this so that we can get the outcome together. What do we need to do next to get back in the game? Um, and then I'll be mad or whatever later, later. on and be and go go through the flow of emotions of being like, crap, I shouldn't have done that. Um, but that's something that we implement, the fitness and wellness aspect, looking at their nutrition. All of those things are, are, are a huge uh, thing that I try to look at it through the 
lens of like a staircase Mm -hmm. and like each step is like a one percent increase right so if you will do all of these things it will help the the holistic like big picture of your your developmental and improvement path so intriguing well i mean okay so let's tell stress has got to be such a critical obstacle i think to playing or getting people out of their head i mean stress has so many uh hormones that run through your body um do you see people burning out because of they can't control that? You they yeah, can't tilt absolutely. if that's the thing. So, uh, have you helped people overcome? I mean, how are you guys helping them overcome that outside of the tilt? Or have you seen just people just go down that slippery slope where they're just done? I mean, how? I guess percentage of that professional players go through that. Well, I mean, I I would say that there's a large amount of players that go through that, and that's why the mindfulness that we do is so important because if you're not able to overcome that, then you tend to kind of stagnate in your level of play. And then um, I think not being able to see that improvement in yourself is another thing that leads to a much quicker burnout because you think you're just stuck here and nothing's changing. And and then eventually you just get, you get fed up and, and burn out much quicker. And so I think that being able to understand those emotions and how you uh, process them and deal with them and uh, avoid tilt is just like such an, such an extremely important part of this yeah i i think there's a couple of things to be said on this and i don't want to go down too long of a rabbit yeah. hole but like one of them is because the like pro scene it has blown up over the last <laughs> few years there's a lot of people that are pouring just ton- tens of millions of dollars into it right some of them are very fixated on like oh well i expected to have x of return on this already well i don't want to invest the additional dollars to bring on a mental health expert and to focus on these things i just want to see the team perform well and it's like well, if you want to see the team perform well, you have to provide these – these players are human beings. Right. You have to provide these players what they need to be able to actually perform at the level that you're wanting them to perform at, which is the highest in the world. Um, so that's that's one thing that I, I, I kind of think is, is maybe an issue. Um, and then the other element of it is you're talking about like do these players – like I don't know the percentage on this. And actually, to be honest, this is something that I'm researching right now as of like a – couple days ago there have been a lot of players this year that have actually retired now some of those are they want to take a different direction with their life they had a disagreement with the organization um or you know they just don't want to do this anymore because they don't enjoy it like they thought they were going to and it's a variety of reasons they're not always publicly disclosed but um i mean i think this is as of yesterday or day before there's this player named dizzy and he played for a team uh in rg and he played this game called apex legends And he was, like, hands down one of the most talented guys. And he's just announced that he's going to retire from the pro scene, that he's not going to compete anymore. And he's not an old player by any means. um, And that he's going to just go and and stream and be an entertainer. And so that's some one of the things that you see is, like, okay, well, I've gotten all this publicity from being a pro player for my skills. But I don't want to deal with this organization trying to manipulate and manage how I should Mm. practice and not provide me everything, especially when I can go, you know, potentially be like Ninja and go make all these millions of dollars and I can dictate my own day-to-day and I can play the games that I want to play because I have a loyal fan base and I can just be an entertainer. Um, So, again, at this point, this is a very long-winded explanation. I apologize. (laughs) No, it's good. But but there are a lot of, of players that are getting burned out that should not be getting burned out because I don't think that they that their player growth is being facilitated in a healthy manner. Okay, so you yeah. mentioned what is the difference between a professional player and a you're calling it streamer entertainer? Yeah. Right. I'm going to get destroyed on social media I think for this maybe. Um so <laughs> 
I we'll, like, we'll, we'll protect you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate so we'll fight him Ninja off. Ninja is a streamer and an entertainer. He used to play some some titles at a professional level, but like he's just a streamer and an entertainer. And a lot of people, whenever they get into esports, they're like, "Oh yeah, like Ninja's a pro player." No, not really. Um, but he he really is a personality, right? Mm-hmm. And so like. He plays whatever titles he wants to. He doesn't really have to abide by anybody's schedule. He's not really, like, necessarily a part of a team. Um, versus a pro player, they don't really stream as much unless it's the offseason. So, like, right now for League of Legends specifically, it's the offseason until, like, the end of January. And you'll see more pro players stream right now because they have the free time to because they're not dictated by, like, practice schedules. But wow. they're so... During the season, they're so ingrained in their practice schedules that they don't really get to stream that much. But that's also another difference and another next level of whenever you do see a pro player streaming, it usually is a big big deal and a big opportunity for people to be able to go watch, watch them, them because you can learn from them. And so that's a great thing. Um, but that is the the big difference is that it's just it's a lot of time. Instead of getting to play whatever you want um, on your own terms and – you know, get to act however you want, just have a fun game and stuff like that. Um, the the pro players are really dictated by their practice schedules. They're not going to be as visible on Twitch and, and YouTube and uh, now Mixer and so on and so forth. Yeah. How do you see this? So uh, when John Davidson was here, we talked about ballers because yeah. you guys ballers. I did that. They were I've not really, watched it. I really yeah. want to. But you I need to. It's it. good. Yeah. Well, they it was a prof- it went started from professional sports yeah. athlete like uh, I don't want to like keep offending people. I know you're a professional <laughs> athlete, so but like physical. Well, like yeah. okay, you get it. <laughs> sports, whatever. So they went from that to by the end, they were all, a lot of them were switching over to esports. Like they're talking about like oh, it's the wild west. You should get in. Da 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 da. So you've got all these people kind of jumping in, trying to get get their hands in the pot while it's still you know hot or whatever you want to say. But to your point, there's a lot to learn in this industry because it's so new and you're seeing this this burnout happen. What are some other things of where the esports industry is right now? What are some things that have to change or you see kind of needing to be different in order to get to that next level of stuff? Because it is I, I feel like it's a lot of people maybe that I mean, nobody you got to have a lot of people who don't know what they're doing in this and not to like bash people. I'm not asking right. you to bash anybody or get yourself in trouble. <laughs> but like, what are some improvements that really have to be made in order to help get to that to the next level where esports needs to go? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that sticks out to me, especially, you know, in the past couple of years being so ingrained on the business side of things is just that because esports is exploding and, you know, how much money is coming into the industry, you have a lot of uh disingenuous people in the industry who are just Mm -hmm. here for the cash grab. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, where Andrew and I have been able to see a lot of success is that you need to be focusing on the relationships and actually the value you're bringing to people as opposed to just being here for the, for the money and for the wrong reasons. Uh, And so I think that's a huge thing that needs to change is because if people aren't here to actually bring value to the industry, then it's never going to be able to, to fully expand and grow into what it needs to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll expand on that a little bit, um, and you're gonna laugh with what I'm about to say, I'm probably. Sure but um, so there's I don't know if you've heard of the rapper NF. No, NF? Okay. God, so, we're old. So this, uh, Stop it! It's just not my we genre know of Snoop music. Dogg. Yeah. So, yeah. It, uh, so <laughs> in one of his songs, he talks about like how a lot of people get into like the the rap game because like they think it's fun and stuff like that. But like he's in it because he has to be. Um, that's, I think the thing that, that Andrew and I share like the biggest passion on is that, 
um, or the biggest similarity on rather, sorry, I misspoke, um, is that it's not, we didn't choose to like be in esports. Like I have to do this. I was a financial advisor for five years. I could have just set my my life up and just kept doing that. But I, I can't not do esports. I've always done esports since I was 12 years old and found out what it is. And I love it. Um, every day, even on the bad days, 18 hours, 20 hours a day, I, I don't care. I, I love doing this. And I think that trying to weed out the disingenuous people from the genuine people, um, that's going to take some time because it's just everybody getting excited, like uh, like Andrew said, like, oh, let's it's a cash grab, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's going to take some time. I think that specifically what we're doing, trying to help develop this this infrastructure and this pipeline so that there is a steady um, career path for pro players, career path for, uh, you know, analysts, for coaches. And this can even help them get their foot in the door for, you know, if they want to go be a social media manager for a pro team or an attorney to do contracts. Like we have relationships with like all these different groups in the industry that we can help facilitate those discussions. If they were to come through our academy and then they go play collegiate, it's like, oh, I can vouch for this player. They did a fantastic job. They had a really good work ethic. They worked really hard. So I think the kind of next generation um, developmental infrastructure needs a lot of work. And then I think that there's a lot of technology that's going to come out of this. Um, You see all these Mm -hmm. just amazing sports analytics. And I know that there's tons of partnerships in analytics with um, like SAP, with Team Liquid and like Microsoft, I think uh, with Cloud9, if I'm not mistaken. And there's all these other groups that they're independents that are probably going to get picked up by these massive corporations, right? Um, but I think that as that stuff gets built out, you see a lot of statistics these days that, like, they just put them out there so that the analysts, whatever, or the the commentators or casters in a, during a pro game, they could just say them so, like, it sounds like something. But it's like, what's the relevance to that? Like, it doesn't actually matter. So I think that yeah. I think that as they actually define these statistics for player improvement, that that's really going to help a lot. Um, and then I think in, in further incorporating the both physical and mental health and wellness um, across the board, across the industry, not just, you know, here and there sporadically, depending on who you're talking to, um, is really going to make a difference in, in kids' lives. So – did you? No, I was just going to ask real quick. How has Vegas embraced this? Are there like huge betting things too going on? With... <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's, uh... Of course. Well, well I figured, but the potential to bet. Exactly. A way I know. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. I just didn't know. Like, it's so it's pretty big right now. Yeah, think... and that's. Well, I think it took some time to get legalized. Maybe um, there's also. I mean, I know in the past there's been plenty of scandals of mm. match fixing and stuff because it's a new industry and there weren't standards yeah. set in place yet. So. That's the frustrating thing to me is like I see these – the it, it seems like some of the purity gets taken away yeah. of, the, of the game with oh, the, the gambling. And it's like now I, now I always watch these matches when there's like these big flips uh, in like performance when like a team is consistently played like really well all year and they have this one match and they lost to a team that like they shouldn't have lost to. No, don't get me wrong. Anything can happen. But it always makes me speculate like, huh, wonder how much they were paid for that. Um, and like, that's kind of disappointing, but at the end of the day, you know, that's the pro scene. It is what it is. Um, we fortunately don't have to, to take part in that, uh, where, where we're operating, but yeah, I think that, you know, Vegas has a big push in that as well as like internationally, there's a, there's a massive, massive push for esports betting. Okay. Well, so, okay. Let's go back to the development side of it. I just read an article, uh, the local article talking about Dallas IST having formation of their own teams and everyone's, you know, high-fiving each other and whatnot. Okay, so as school districts, independent school districts here in Texas, unified school districts in California, because that's all I know, and other areas, uh, when they start developing their own leagues, if you will, and their own school teams and whatnot, 
do you see um, where EPA can step in and work with school districts more closely? Oh my god, I, I see. I, I feel like I'm si- <laughs> yeah, I'm going into NDA territory. Really yeah. comment, but, but I mean, but, to, yeah. but are schools understanding that the health and the wellness and the mental, other than oh, we're going to throw some kids into the computer lab and yeah, they're playing video that's, games? That's the. I think one of the biggest selling points of, of what we do with, yeah, with our clients is that they love the fact that we're not just like, hey, we're going to teach your kids how to play the game and we're going to have them sit down and play the game like for four hours a day. Um, it's that we we really come in and we sell them, okay, you know, we're going to look at internal and as, external aspects from the game. So we're going to look at the health and nutrition and wellness uh, aspects going through like physical warm-ups to help get the, the blood flowing and everything, which impacts your cognitive function when, you going, when you're going into playing. I can tell you that there are – we just got done working with uh, – some, doing some work for Burleson ISD this past week. And there are four kids uh, that are all really adamant about going and playing pro in Fortnite. And so, like, the last session, um, I worked entirely with these four guys, and I literally treated it like I treated, like, pro players. And they were just, like, all enthralled and consumed by – I was like, look, this is a lot of information I'm throwing at you in the, cor- in the course of, like, an hour and a half. I need you – if you, like, are really serious about your career, this is what you need to, to take to heart, and this is what you need to do. And they're, like, taking notes, and they're all excited and everything. And so, I, it's – it gets me excited to see kids getting – that excited about, you know, having the potential about, you know, figuring out something new that can change their performance and really make their their dream a reality. Um, but yeah, again, sorry, I'm, I'm a little ADHD. Um, yes, I think that, that every conversation that we've had, the schools love the fact that we bring um, external concepts to the to the table instead of just fixating on the on the in game aspect. I, I could just imagine you guys having as you and I heard you're growing. We'll talk about that in a second. But I mean, as you guys continue to grow, I could see you guys having an education division versus Absolutely. a pro versus you know, yeah. I don't know, like each stage of development, if you will. So how early or how soon is too soon to bring a, a person that wants to play? into your fold? Do you guys have a limit of mental maturity before you'll take them on? Do you have a parent that goes, well, Billy here or Mary is amazing at six years old. I can old. only imagine. Yeah. With I some mean, of the parents. what are you guys mm. seeing there? I mean, yeah, I mean, parents are parents, right? So like every, everybody's, <laughs> everybody's kid is like the smartest person in the world and the most talented person in the world. Um, and every, everything that you could imagine being said, um, so yeah, we we have seen some of that, but at the same time, um, I don't like to. So we we originally looked at this whole thing of like, should we define it by age bracket, right? And I'll say that for the most part, we focus on typically like high school age, like twelve, thirteen, and older. However, there are some clients that we're working with from like a middle school standpoint. And there is information that we tailor what we're able – the type of curriculum and the type of information that we distribute to the to the kids based on their age and their, their understanding. Oh, age-appropriate so, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, like, you could have an 8- or 9- or 10-year-old that has the understand, like, the game knowledge and understanding of a 12-year-old. I can have a totally different conversation with that than, like, the 8- or 9-year-old who's just like, yeah, I just found this game and this is really fun. I'm really entertained by that. Right? Like, I, I can't tell them as much information. Right. Um, and so it, it really is a situational dependent conversation for, for everybody. And that's part of the reason that they, our clients hire us is we do scouting and assessment for, for all of their students. 
and we go and we look at, okay, you know, the, we categorize them like uh, as depending on their aspirations and depending on their game knowledge. And so we go and we document everything and we'll be able to have a conversation and say, okay, you know, these are the people who they're just having fun. They could probably have a little bit more mental maturity to realize, you know, is this a is something that they are just eternally going to do for fun or are they going to want to make a career out of this versus the kids who, you know, are a little bit older or are a little bit more mentally mature and they know exactly what they want to do and they want all the information and they want it now because they want to do everything that they can to go be the next Fortnite tournament winner and win $3 million or go, you know, be the first North American team to win the world championship in League of Legends. Um, so everybody's different, and we just try to be very mindful and analytical to make sure that we're assessing them based on that person individually. Okay, this is a burgeoning industry, okay? And I, I love to see the excitement that, you know, school-age kids are considering this as a career. But what are the odds of really going pro? I mean, it's got to be very slim at this yeah. stage. yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, okay, I've been talking for a long time. Are you sure you don't want to say something? <laughs> um, I mean, like one, one thing I guess on that topic is that one uh, great byproduct of what we do with these schools is that like, even if these kids aren't going to go pro, obviously, and, and I think maybe you can touch a little more on this about uh, all the different like career paths that they can have and everything. But the other thing is that the community that it provides, the the schools that we go to and where these programs are being set up and that we're um, we're able to help with, we're seeing that the majority of these kids have never participated in another activity at their school. And so being able to get them involved yeah. and actually find a community, like that's so important for these students to actually have. And so it's just been this, this awesome byproduct of what we've, you know, been doing with them. It, it's just great to see. I didn't even, well, I was going to say, I didn't even think of like when you brought it up just a minute ago about Okay, you know, I mean, if you love video games, like the cool thing was you could go to be a developer and develop right. video games. That was pretty much it, right? Like that was your that was your option. Now, okay, I love video games. I'm probably not going to be pro, but it's just it's like sports. I want to be an agent or I want to be, you know, and like now you've got and you can help make those connections and and they can work in this industry exactly. for the rest of their lives and I never would have put that. And I think that's really cool. Like you grow up, you love this and now you can help in other ways maybe that's outside of pro. Right. It's such a sign of the times because uh, when my ne nephews and nieces were coming of age and they were into video games and I was like, guys, okay, that's great, but you're not going to make a living off of it. It's such a – it's so weird. It's a, I'm trying to get my mind into understanding what I told them was, oh, you want to do video games? Well, then – Go into coding, become yeah. a tester, yeah. right. not what you guys are proposing is an actual ecosystem of cottage industry of careers now that hasn't ever existed before. I, I, I am feeling very grandmotherly at the moment. No, because I always say this. So my kids are six and seven and I say this there. We are in a day and age. You cannot you absolutely cannot tell a child you can't make a living doing that mm -hmm. at this point in our lives. No, what we're yeah. seeing I mean, anything, any, any, anything, you literally cannot tell your kid you can't do that because there's no way you're going to make a career doing that. Where we were, we were told that. I think it's so cool to be in that position. I, Absolutely. I told myself that um, whenever I got into the, into this and I always tell people this, I was 12 years old, watched the first match and I was like, man, I would love to be able to be like a pro player for the rest of my life, but there's no way that it'll be financially lucrative enough to be able to support myself. Mm -hmm. um, and Back then, unless you were like literally the like the top two player in the world right. or something like that, like it, it really wasn't. Um, 
but that's also why I was a financial advisor and did esports and being in that industry concurrently for a little while. Um, is that it, you know, I had to, to make a living, but as the industry started to grow, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do anything else. Mm -hmm. And like, this is all I, all I want to do. So I have never been more thankful for being wrong in my entire life, but yeah, I, it is, we're all very fortunate to to see this growth in the industry for the people that going back to you know the genuine people in the industry it's I, you did this everybody did this long enough for for free and for nothing just because they loved it so much and now we can yeah. have a sustainable living off of something that we truly care and will devote all of our power to yeah so I have a a rudimentary question uh, the lifespan of a professional player is it dependent on a game? Is it dependent on like these pro players? Are they like I am a pro of League of Legends and that's my thing, or do they diversify games? Is it applicable to be just as good at League of Legends as Counter Strike? And I'm just I don't know what I'm. <laughs> They're doing. like, oh my god, horrible example. <laughs> I know. I, know. I, I saw his face. <laughs> Andrew's like, oh god, that one hurt, girl. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, but you know what I mean. Like one game versus the other that's yeah. uh, of the same genre. Could, can it apply, or is it as a pro player you you pick your <laughs> your horse you ride on? Well, I think it can be hard to say sometimes. I, I was on board with everything until you, you said two games of different genres. I saw his face. I like he, you literally flinched. You literally flinched when she but said you know, it. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Leave me alone, all of you. I'm uh, out of here. I, I think we see that... Um, <laughs> I think a lot sometimes in like the FPS category, you see people able to first person shooter, but yeah. just a recap from earlier. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, in battle royales within that genre, I think you're able to see um, a lot of transferable skills between those two. And so the people who are, you know, at the, at the top and at their prime in those games, um, yeah, I think they're able to, to make that transition if they have to, if the game dies out or if they just decide that, you know, there's a, a new game that they actually enjoy a lot more. Um, I don't think we see it happen too much at the pro level because of just the amount of time that it takes to actually uh, to to get there. Um, but, yeah, I mean. Yeah, like I, there's a couple of different scenarios. So um, it depends on the stability of the title, which is something that, you know, we talked about. There's the academy aspect of what we do that we're currently working on on fundraising to be able to get our facility and our physical space that'll operate like a soccer academy. Kids come in on a monthly basis, they compete, we provide them coaching, so on and so forth. Then the elite level, that's where we actually sign people to the academy. They're basically on a scholarship. They live the life of a pro and we fully develop them. Um, on the, the younger end of the spectrum, on the true academy side, it can be a little bit more fluid with the titles that we have to look at. On the elite side, we're investing a lot of money in developing these players. And so we have to look at the stability of the titles. So if you go and you look at things like uh, League of Legends and Overwatch and Call of Duty um, and Counter-Strike, like these are all very stable titles that have been around for, um, in the case of Counter-Strike, for like two decades. I'd say 20 years. Yeah, and then in the case of like League of Legends, it has a very stable like franchise system backing. So it's going to be around. Um so we look at the stability of that because the last thing we want is to say, okay, this is a really good title. This is very entertaining. Um, we're going to sign a bunch of elite players, bring them in, develop them, and then they go and do it like Blizzard did to Heroes of the Storm and they pull the plug on it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's something where we have to really look mm. at it because like the skills from Heroes of the Storm are somewhat translatable to like League of Legends and like Dota 2, 
But also, if you look at the top players for Heroes of the Storm, there's a massive skill gap still because the title just wasn't as competitive. Um, so yes, to and to Andrew's point, like there are transferable skills from title to title. Um, there's a lot of game kind of psychology and strategy that's transferable from title to title. But ultimately, it is typically best to be able to kind of pick your title uh, that is stable and and kind of decide that you know like that's the one that I want to specialize in. And if it ends up you know, you go pro, fantastic, but maybe another title comes out that you're really excited about and you transition to it. Um, one of Whenever we were back at Infinite, one of the players that I had on the Overwatch team that was at the pro level uh, transitioned to playing Apex Legends professionally. And so, like, those are some, trans- like, clearly there's some some transferable aspects of that. He just decided because Apex Legends was a new title, he loved it, he loved the flow of it, he was going to go work on that, and it worked out for him. Do do titles change? Um, you have to update at some point the technology and the right. gameplay and all that stuff. Is there ever a hiccup, like, or or that the pro players like it's a learning curve? It's a new skill they got to learn. They just get on faster. Or have you? I, I don't understand how these games over twenty years survive. Is it can't twenty years ago gameplay could not be the same as it is today, yeah, right? Yeah, so looking at League of Legends specifically, every two weeks they put out a patch that changes the game uh, in some way. Not usually the game as a whole, but they'll do balance changes with the actual champions in the game, uh, making some stronger, some weaker, just trying to get a better balance of the game. And so players, you know, every couple weeks might have to adapt a little bit to that as new um, as new champions become stronger, then they might need to start learning and picking up those characters because they become what's called the meta um, whereas, uh, and then once a year, League of Legends has one major change, usually, usually where, uh, the whole map changes or, I mean, there's all of these different yeah. nuances the, the, and like to keep people yeah, engaged. And that's, yeah. that's what we're, and that's the stage that we're at right now is cause it's the off season. They, a couple weeks ago released their, their new big, what they call preseason patch. And so it is a lot of, that is where the coaches and the analysts and like every, and the players are all like, Okay, we got to prepare for the season. You figure out all this new stuff. Um, to your point, though, that uh, we touched on burnout a little bit earlier. Like that is one thing that that Mark Cuban had talked about whenever people had asked him about um, his thoughts on esports. Is like there's too much to consistently keep up with for updates that like it really can impact player burnout. Now, I'll say in in Riot's case specifically. So Riot made League of Legends, just to mm-hmm. clarify. Um, in Riot's case specifically, I think that they've become a lot better at you know when they release their patches because what would happen back in the day not to sound old but what would happen is there would be these these major tournaments and they would release this new patch while the players would be like what the hell and like they they'd be like really upset because now it's just like you're rolling the dice to to figure out you know like who's going to learn it and i think that there's some skill in that don't get me wrong because it's who can adapt quicker and learn. Exactly. But at the same time, like if you level the playing field, like then it becomes more skill-based based on like a long-term strategy that you've been able to kind of hone and adapt and then so on and so forth. Does that mean that in the esports industry, how closely are the producers of the tournament per se with the title makers? Like do they is there a lot of coordination? To prepare for those types of examples, or that just happened recently because of the past? Like how much of the industry is actually talking amongst each other? Well, I mean, in uh, in a lot of the cases, the esports tournaments and stuff are usually, at least within the franchise leagues, are put on by the game developers themselves. They just they have an esports branch of the company that'll that'll handle all that, and so those people are very ingrained with you know obviously the esports ecosystem and the players, and so that's why after years of of listening and talking with them, 
um, especially Riot, because they've always been very involved with the players. They try to be a company that that listens to their player base a lot. And so I think that's where they they make a lot of those decisions and, and changes. Yeah, there are, there are companies like Valve who created Dota, uh, or <laughs> debatable, uh, sorry. <laughs> Valve who created Dota 2, um, there's a lot of nuance complexity. That's why I backed up on that one. Uh, so Valve who created Dota 2 and, the, and, the, and, and that, the tournament scene for that, they're very hands-off. Um, and then for like Counter-Strike, they create Counter-Strike. They're very hand- – so like that stuff's typically handled by like third parties um, versus like Andrew's talking about like Blizzard and Riot are, are very – and Activision now with Call of Duty are are very hands-on and being like, hey, our division develops the games, um, but you're still under our company. And now this division manages and executes kind of the franchise pro scene. Well, so was the EPA does and do you guys now talk to the developers saying, guys, if you're going to be throwing tournaments or whatever, do you guys – are you guys collaborating with them now? Okay, I guess there's, no. <laughs> I guess there's a lot of NDA yeah. conversations I'm asking here. Yeah, that was a frightened look. No, no, that was a smile of like I can't talk about this face. I got it. I got it. I catch what you're pitching. Okay, you guys are doing an amazing thing. I think. Yes. I think kudos to you jumping into an industry, understanding a gap early on. I think you guys are going to blow up. I want you to remember Aaron and me. Of yeah, course, of course. Yeah, because how many C is out there? Damn it, Janet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if anyone wants to learn more about you, how can they get a hold of EPA? Uh, they can go just visit our website, epa.gg, as in good game. Um, uh, everybody yeah, uses, that's what the GG stands for. Yeah. I was wondering yeah, for that. Yeah. Everybody, everybody in the, the esports and gaming industry has kind of transitioned to using uh, .gg at the instead of .com, .net, whatever, um, because of good game and, and the universal uh, gaming kind of terminology. But they can visit our website. They can find us on LinkedIn. Um, our contact and email addresses and like a – uh, submit a request to, to speak for them or on our website and sign up for coaching on our website. So, yeah, website, LinkedIn, social media, it's all pretty much out there. And is there anything new upcoming that we should be aware of? This will probably go out in the, in the beginning year, of 2020, 2020. So we're going to kick off some kick ASS uh, 2020. Anything new for you guys that you can talk about? Uh, not that we can talk about, sadly. Okay. Um, well, we got, um, you know, I don't know if this, this age group would really be listening, but we got a, uh, a clinic coming up in <laughs> oh, yeah, January. True, true. He's like, uh, I don't for... think they're going to listen to these old <laughs> ladies, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's for kids, kids ages 13 to 18. And we have a completely free clinic coming up in January that we, uh, it's not, the signup's not on our website, but it's on our social media um, so it's completely free to sign up, and we're just running a, a two-day clinic for League of Legends and Overwatch for people yeah. to come out. You know, Andrew, back off. We just put TikTok on our phone, so okay. leave us alone. <laughs> I, I posted on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey. And apparently I got like, hey. and, and I, a little worried. A bunch of, like, 12 and 13-year-olds, like, friended, followed me, whatever. And I'm like, I don't know if I should accept this. Like, I don't – I feel a little weird right now. Uh, okay, guys, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much, Aaron. Do you have any questions? No, Andrew, I don't. Andrew? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I think that wraps up for another episode of Innovation Calling.